but um, now I sort of wanted to shift over to investing. So um, you talk a lot on Personal Finance Club, your Instagram account, a lot about investing, a lot about budgeting. So as for investing, how should someone go about investing their money versus saving their money? Like how much and when should they go about this? Great question. Yeah, we've been talking all about entrepreneurship, which I don't talk about too much on my Instagram. It's a little bit harder to like make bite-sized infographics on it maybe. Um, but yeah, I love investing. How much should people invest? Well, I basically think they should follow. Well, here's my two rules. My two rules of building wealth. Rule number one is live below your means. That means spend less money than you make. And rule number two is invest early and often. If you do those two things, you'll be rich. Even if you're not investing well. Like even if you invest in crappy investments, like if you just buy all bonds or something. I mean, not that I like bonds, I own bonds, but like, you know, it's not a great investment for very young people usually. Um, but if you, all you do is you spend less than you make and you buy bonds your whole life, you're going to be like a bond millionaire when you're, when you're older, it's going to be great. But if you don't do those two things, you spend all your money and you don't invest early and often, then you're going to be broke no matter how much you make. So if you're making a hundred thousand a year or 500,000 a year and you spend a hundred or 500,000 a year after the year's over, you still have zero. And that is true for any amount of money. And so, um, yeah, so when we talk about investing, I always like to start very, very simply because the world of investing can be very intimidating and confusing. And so I always remind people to follow the two rules, spend less money than you make, invest early and often. That's how you build wealth. And then even if you're not doing it perfectly, then you can start to like hone. So yeah, how much should people invest? Well, some of their money, the more, the better, the more you invest, the richer you get or the faster you get rich. Um, you know, if you invest half of your take-home pay, you will have enough money to live off of forever after 15 years. So if you when, you, you, when you guys are 22 and you get jobs, if you just decide to like be crazy people and spend half of your money and invest the other half, when you are 37, you'll be able to live forever on your investments. That's not bad. Or 36, whatever. Yeah. 22 plus 15, 37. Yeah. So I guess my, you know, since we're shifting towards investing, a big component of what you talk about and what we really, what we try to advocate to our audience as well is to invest into index funds. And one thing that I heard a lot about is that you can retire early if you invest into index funds by taking a portion out once you're able to get a lot of money. So how do you retire early with index funds? Like how does that process work in like specific terms? That is a good question. And I get that question a lot. And to me, it's like, <laughs> it's a really uninteresting question. I mean, it's, I, I like the question, but like from my perspective, it just seems so, I'm like, yeah, you just take some of the money out. Like, it seems so simple, but I feel like, but I know what you're saying. It's like very abstract. You're like, okay, what, what money? Like, where is this money? And so this is how it works. Like in the, like, let's go with the most simple case. Like you go, you have a checking account and a savings account, right? You open up a third type of account that's called a brokerage account. And it's just an account. It's got a number. You put money in just like the other accounts, but this account's a little different because instead of just holding cash, it can hold investments like stocks and bonds. And so an index fund is basically a single package that contains sometimes hundreds or thousands of stocks. So you can buy a single index fund, for example, that owns basically all of the world's stocks. So you, go to, you can go to vanguard.com, a website, type, click open an account, open a Vanguard account or a brokerage account. Then you can buy a ticker symbol called VTWAX, Vanguard Total World Stock Market Index Fund, and then put Put money in there. So like in that 50-50 in that example, I said, you, you spend 50% of your money and then other 50% of money you put into VTWX, that single index fund. Then 15 years later, 
that index fund will have grown to about 25 times your annual spending. So if you, you, you know, and this is all relative to how much you make. So if you make a hundred thousand, you're spending 50,000 and 50,000, 50,000, it's 25, 25, whatever. So like, let's say you make 50,000 and you invest 25,000, 25,000 times 25 is, I don't know what that is. I have to do the math on my calculator. 25,000 times 25 is $625,000. So you'll have $625,000 in your Vanguard account. Then what you mentioned is called the safe withdrawal rate. So you can take 4% of that per year out and adjust it for inflation every year and basically be, be extremely unlikely to ever go broke. Like we don't know what the future is going to hold. So I can't guarantee that something crazy won't happen. But, you know, based on the historical volatility of the stock market, the historical inflation returns, all that stuff, you can basically take 4% of this out every year. So you go to vanguard.com and you go click on your brokerage account or for the last 15 years, you've been putting money in and then you take out 4%. Like, you know, on January 1st, you, you just, you, you can sell some of the index fund for whatever the current market rate is. There's a button that says sell and you sell, it says how much you want to sell and you can sell dollars. And so 4% of um, 625,000. So I have a calculator here. I can't do this math in my head is $25,000. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, so that means you can take your $25,000 per year out for, uh, from there and then, and then live forever and even adjust it for inflation. So yeah, that's how it works. Does that make sense? Does that make it less abstract? I know it's like until you see it, until you do it once, it still feels very abstract, but still it's like clicking buttons on a website. You take, you sell the money, you have 25,000, then you click transfer, you put it into your checking account and then the money goes into your checking account. And then you go to the ATM and you take it out. Then you have cash. Then you go to the grocery store and you put like bananas on the like conveyor belt. And then they say that will be $3. Then you give them the money and then, and then you can take the bananas and eat them. So it works. really is pretty simple at the end of the day, right? But I, I feel like a lot of people have this excuse that, oh, well, I don't have enough money to actually invest. So what do you tell those kind of people? Yeah, um, you know, that's legit sometimes. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to like uh, poverty shame anyone who is like, you know, if you're, you know, like I said, when I was making 800 bucks a month, um, I was living on credit cards. I was not investing. I wasn't considering investing. I was racking up debt. I was broke. Um, you know, no amount of wagging my finger at someone who makes 800 bucks a month um, is going to like cause them to have enough money to invest. Um, that's if you're making like, you know, the, I think the US median income or household median income right now is like 60 some thousand per year. Um, you know, but there are some people who make 50,000 per year and like, like ask a person who makes 50,000 a year, if like 60,000 a year would be nice. Um, they will say yes, you know, that's 10,000 bucks difference, right? So you, if that means you can invest 10,000 bucks, like, you know, there are some people who make 40,000 a year and there's some people who make 80,000 a year. Can the person who makes 80,000 a year, like live like the person who makes 40,000 a year and invest half? Like, yep, like they can, they usually don't uh, because people, you know, our society is built around, uh, you know, materialistic things. Like we talk about, you know, I'm like kind of my eyes are wandering as I'm thinking and I'm seeing a bunch of cars out here and everyone wants out here. I'm looking in my front yard or whatever. Um, like not, not my cars or other people's cars. I only have one car. It's a Mazda. Um, but other people's cars parked in front. I was like, yeah, people like want the newest car. They want the newest iPhone. They want the new, like, you know, and, that, and that's all we talk about. And, um, you know, living below your means isn't really part of like mainstream culture in America. Um, so, you know, for sure, if you're like, if you're below the poverty line, you need to, like, your goal is not to invest right now. Your goal is to 
build your income, you know, and to do that, you need to either advance your career, advance your education, you know, think five years down the road, what can you do to improve your situation? Um, but once, you know, once you're making, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 a year plus, like then you can start living below your means and investing. For sure. I think you had a really good, you had like two really good points. One that if you're really poor and you have, you know, a lot of debt and you don't really have that much income, the biggest thing to probably do is probably tackle on that debt, get that sort of income. And then once you're able to grow, then you can start investing, which will be really profitable in the long run. And then the second part about a lot of people are oriented towards material subjects. I think another cause or whatever like people are doing right now is creating lifestyle inflation where when they get a raise, they think now they can spend even more now because they're quote unquote more wealthier because they earn more, they can buy more designer clothing, better, you know, objects, I guess. And that kind of creates a stigma that the more you have, the more supposedly rich you supposed to be, you are be, but technically you're looking rich, but not necessarily are rich, which is why living below your means is always going to be best in the short term when you invest more and do all that. And then in the long term, you always went out. So I kind of wanted to ask one question about the index funds concept in that if you're in investing overall, if you're investing in your brokerage account, and you also probably have to invest into your Roth IRA, probably into your 401k, how do you split between all those investments? How do you know how much you have to do? Sure. So when I gave my very simple example of how you can live off of your uh, investments, I just called it a brokerage account. Um, and you can do that. You can totally do that. In fact, like historically, that was the only type of investment account. But the government, the friendly US government at some point along the way said, hey, not enough people are investing. We want more people to invest as a matter of public policy. So we don't have a bunch of broke old people in this country because having a bunch of broke old people is not good for our country. We have to like, raise taxes to give them money so they're not dying on the streets or whatever. Um, and so they're trying to incentivize um, saving for your own retirement. And so the way they did that said, hey, if you put money into a brokerage account, we will give you a special deal on taxes. And they can't just put into a regular brokerage account because that already has its own tax deal. So they made a new type of a brokerage account called an IRA. It stands for Individual Retirement Account. All it is is another brokerage account. But if you put money into this one, then in the case of a Roth IRA, which is just the name for the type of tax break you get, you never pay tax on it ever again. So if you, for example, this year put $6,000 into a Roth IRA, and then over the course of your career, it grows to $100,000, which is possible for people as young as you, um, you can take that $100,000 out and spend every last penny of it 100% tax-free. So all that growth, that $94,000 of growth between 6,000 and 100,000, is not taxed. In a brokerage account, it is taxed. That's called a capital gain. You have to pay tax on the gains and any dividends paid along the way. But inside of a Roth IRA, that is not taxed. And so basically, you could put every penny to your name inside of a regular brokerage account. In fact, in my own personal financial situation, most of my money, probably 95% of my money is in a regular brokerage account because I make too much money to put it into these special tax advantage accounts because the government said, okay, it's tax-free, but there are some um, there are some catches, there are some strings attached. One of the strings attached is you can't put into a Roth IRA more than $6,000 per year. So for like millionaires like me, you know, they don't really want us using it because we already have enough money. 
if you were like someone who's making 60,000 bucks a year and you put 6,000 bucks in 10% of your pay, that means that money is tax-free forever and ever to be touched again. And the other, I mean, there's several rules, but one of the other rules is you can't take it out, no strings attached until you're 59 and a half. So it's basically like the government saying, hey, here's a special deal, great deal on taxes, no better deal on taxes, but you can only put in 6,000 bucks a year and you gotta leave it there until you're old. So basically trying to like the government making rules to get their agenda working, which is less broke old people in the US. Um, so how do you prioritize those? We'll actually have an investing checklist on my website that basically goes through like which of these accounts. The very first one is the 401k up to the match. 401k is another special type of brokerage account. This one that's only offered through employers for some reason. Why? Who knows? But employers often offer a match, which means if you put money in, they'll put more money in. If you don't do that, you're basically, you know, flushing money down the toilet every month. And so, you know, that's your very first step in investing is to put money into the into your 401k or your 403b up to your employer match to make sure you get every dollar from your employer they're willing to give you. The second step is actually an HSA, which is yet another type of brokerage account. This one with it actually has a triple tax benefit. It's relatively unusual because you have to have a health insurance that's HSA compatible, but you can put up to like 35, 50 per year. It changes every year. Then the next step is a Roth IRA, which is the one I just described. Then the next step goes back to 401k. If you can put more, if you can invest even more money, you put into your 401k. And then the next step is a regular brokerage account. So there's like the five. And this is for most people, if you're not self-employed, if you have like a regular job, those are like the five most common places you'd put money. Again, this is just like a tax optimization. If, if you just skipped to step five, and put all your money into a regular brokerage account, that would be fine. It would still grow. You could still live off of it forever, but you'd just be paying more tax than you need to. So that's why you optimize those other accounts in that order. So what do you think are the main steps that a person has to take before they actually start investing? So... Uh, I actually have a like phases also on my website, personalfinance.com, by the way, shout out to my, uh, you know, self promotion. Um, but I have a, a, uh, an article or a page called the phases of investing. And actually the first step I actually think is investing. The first step is to ma maximize the 401k match, because if you don't do that, you're literally just throwing money away. And there are some, you know, anti-debt advocates who say, don't invest a penny until you're totally out of debt. But the thing is like, in the extreme example, you could do your 401k match and then the next day, take it all out, pay the 10% tax penalty on it. And then, you know, have already gotten an instant, like, you know, 80% return on your money or whatever. Um, you know, that's always going to be a good deal. Then the second step, in my opinion, is paying off all your non-mortgage debt. So if you have credit card loan, student loan, car loan, medical loan, personal loan. If you owe anyone money, like get that out of your life because debt is like this anchor that's like tied to your ankle when you're trying to swim a race and you got to get rid of that debt. So pay off all of your debt and stay out of debt. You know, debt is not how, you know, there are some people talking about good debt and leverage and stuff like that. And like in real estate, like we can talk about that, but for normal consumer debt, like get out of debt. Don't, that's bad. It costs you money. It makes other people rich. It doesn't make you rich. Then the third step is to build an emergency fund. An emergency fund is basically a little cash buffer that's like you know three or six months um, savings, or three three or six months of your expenses. So you can basically, if you get fired or you have a family emergency or something, you're not going to go back into debt. So you build up some cash. So maybe it's ten thousand bucks. Then 
you start investing. So basically you would have to have like a general solid foundation, no debt, a little bit of the cash, then you start investing, working through that checklist, like I mentioned. Yeah, I think that's really important that people have a kind of, people have a plan on how they should go about investing because a lot of people, they hear the term, you should invest early, invest now, but they don't know what to do. So it's really important to know exactly what you need to do in, you have to get like a 401k, have your brokerage account, Roth IRA, have all those plans, and then you can be able to tackle that goal. And I just had one more question before, you know, kind of shift from this investing topic is that when you have your order from a 401k to an HSA and a Roth IRA, those are accounts where you take your money out when you're 59 and a half or like when you're really old. So how would that, so is that the best option if you want to be able to like use your money like in between those years? Like, is there a way that you could take it out or is that mainly just for retirement? So that's a good question. Like, what do you do if you want to retire early and, or access that money early and all your money is locked away? It's a question that I'm always asked by young people and I've never, ever seen that happen in real life. You know, I've never seen someone who's like, I'm 38 and I'm so fabulously wealthy that I could retire, but all my money is locked away in an IRA. Like that's, that's never happened. Um, and, and, you know, in the most extreme case, the penalty is 10%. So like, let's say you have 3 million bucks saved up in IRAs and 401ks and HSAs, and then you just take every penny of it out that day, put it into your checking account. You would owe the government 300,000 bucks and you would have $2.7 million in your, and you, you know, you might owe taxes on it too, depending on, um, you know, what type of account it is, but you know, that's like the extreme case. Like I'm not suggesting you should do that because you don't need to, but I'm saying that's like, it's not really locked away. It's just, there's a penalty associated with it because the government's saying, Hey, we're not going to give you this tax break if you don't follow the rules. That said, there's some ways to get around it. So first of all, basically anyone who gets to this point of early retirement has already maxed out all the retirement accounts and then some, so you can only put away, you know, 25,000 bucks a year or something in 401k and IRA. And most people who are like literally going to retire early are saving more than that. So they're saving 35,000 or 40,000, like big, kind of big numbers. Right. And so all that excess is going to a brokerage account, which they can access anytime. Also, if you're, if you have a lot of money in your retirement accounts and you're like five years out, like you can like pull up the spreadsheet and be like, I think I can retire in five years. Then at that point, maybe you can start putting money into a brokerage account and not maxing out retirement accounts. But even that I don't really recommend because there's other ways, like there's a thing called a Roth, first of all, in any Roth accounts, you can take out the money you put in anytime, no tax, no penalty, any reason. So like, let's say, you know, you put in $60,000 over 10 years into a Roth IRA and it grew to 120,000. You can take out the original 60,000, no tax, no penalty, any reason, whenever you want. And there's also a thing called a Roth IRA ladder, where if you have traditional accounts, you know, this is getting kind of technical, but I hope the takeaway here is that like there's options. Um, you could, if you have money in like your 401k, for example, you can convert it to a Roth IRA and the government doesn't want you to do that as a way to instantly access it, but there's like a five-year window. So you can convert money and then five years later, you can take all that money out and spend it. And so there's this thing called a Roth ladder where basically every year you convert one year's worth of your um, future income to Roth status. And then you take, then you live on the, the conversion from five years ago, basically then transferring all of your money from retirement account status to, I can spend it whenever I want status. Um, you know, you also, people end up owning real estate, which is usually outside of these types of accounts, which provide income. Um, there's also a couple of government rules, like the rule of 55 and, and rule 72 T, which also offer options to access your money before 59 and a half. Um, 
So basically, it's not a real problem. And I recommend that people do max out those retirement accounts. But even if you don't, that's fine too. Like throw it all in a brokerage account. I don't care. You can access that money anytime. Like brokerage accounts are nice. They're great. You can take the money out like whenever you want. 